0: Today we'll return again to Luke chapter 6. And as we've said in earlier messages, when Jesus preached and as He taught the people, He would often use specially chosen wording that was appropriate to describe matters both in a very literal sense, but also at the same time expressing deep spiritual truths. And He especially liked to use parables and word pictures to give a fuller meaning to his words. But strangely, there are times when his parables left his listeners very uncertain of their meaning. And we wonder about that. Because that was so when he gave the parable of the soils, or sometimes called parable of the sower. Even his chosen disciples didn't understand his meaning of that parable. Which prompted them then to ask Jesus why he so often spoke in parables and figurative language. And in response, the Lord Jesus gave an answer that has confused many evangelicals. He told his disciples, and listen to these words. He told his disciples, to you, to his disciples, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Isn't that a delightful thought? The secrets of the kingdom of heaven. He's decided to reveal his heart to us. So he says to you, the disciples, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, and he's talking about these others in the crowd there. But to them it has not been given. Strange words. For to the one who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And that's why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing, they do not see. And hearing, they do not hear. Nor do they understand. Strange words. And I confess that I don't know why Jesus wants some people to understand His words, but others to not understand. But I do know that for those of us who've given our hearts to Christ in salvation, He does want us to not only hear His truths, but to also understand the deeper spiritual meanings that He gives within His words. Now here, in these words of Luke chapter 6, that I'll read for us in a moment, Jesus is using words that go beyond their simpler contexts and meanings. And here He invites us to also hear the deeper spiritual meanings of His words. So turn there with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 20. These are familiar words often referred to as Beatitudes. Luke chapter 6, verse 20. Then he, this is the Lord Jesus, then he lifted up his eyes towards his disciples and he said, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. "'Blessed are you when men hate you, and when they exclude you, and they revile you, and they cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation, all you'll ever receive. Also woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger.' Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. And woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. Now here in this special sermon, Jesus chose to use some of the most common matters of daily life in order to teach His disciples and us about how we're to respond to them, those matters of daily life, our money or our lack of it, our food or our lack of it, and about our emotions as we try to cope with all the many matters of daily life. All these things, these needs, these desires, these demands, whether they be physical or emotional, they're part of what these scriptures call the flesh. The flesh. And here in His message, Jesus is telling us that we must not treat any of these matters lightly. That each of them has the ability to reach into and have far-reaching effects upon our souls, both positively and negatively. And here also, Jesus is elevating all of these matters of the flesh up into the spiritual realm. And He's telling us that it is there, within that spiritual realm, that you and I are to deal with all of these matters. Why is that necessary? Why is that necessary? It's because too often we want to separate out compartmentalize the matters of our day as being either secular or spiritual. And folks, that should not be so. And these words are testifying to that truth. Nothing in this life is ever truly secular. All matters, all matters of life are truly, inescapably spiritual. And here in each of these verses, Jesus is carefully relating these two. The flesh with the spirit. The fleshly and physical and emotional things that affect us each day, and also the spiritual response that you and I must have to these matters. In the first of these verses that we studied last week, if you'll recall, Jesus told us that the manner in which our heart, our mind, and our emotions respond to money and the things that money can buy is very spiritual, very spiritual. And his instructions to us was that he wants to own our whole heart. In those matters he wants to own our whole heart and now here in these words Jesus is telling us much the same as he deals with intimate demands of of hunger he wants us to know that he alone must own our hearts in those matters a question as we look at this matter of food does food seem to be a very important thing to you Do you consider food to be really important in your life? Or is food simply an instrument to alleviate our physical hunger? May I say to us that the matter of food is a very, very big matter, both to those of us who suffer from having very little of it, but also, in a different way, big to those of us who generally live a life of plenty. Let me first address the many of us generally have plenty of food to eat each day and that's been so all of my life though i grew up in a very poor family we always had enough food so then for us who have plenty what about us how is food such a big matter to us to answer that we really only need to let our minds wander to all the many television programs that deal with nothing else but food The cooking of it, the serving of it, and the enjoyment of it. As I say those words about food, the cooking of it, and the serving of it, and the enjoyment of it, I'm again reminded of the word that we spoke about last week when we spoke about lust. It involved money at that time. And so, does lust seem an appropriate word that should be used in the context of food? Folks, it is. It is. 1 John 2 There the Lord, in speaking about sin, he tells us that sin generally comes to us in three forms. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. And food fits excellently into each one of them. In this context of food, think about all of the moments, the many occasions where you've observed or even participated in events of fine dining. Fine dining, lavish parties and banquets, in my younger years, I was a banker and I attended many of these lavish banquets, parties, went to the finest restaurants. Listen to these words, First John 2, where the Lord tells us, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, all of that fine dining, be drawn into that lifestyle of eating only the best foods in the best of restaurants. And only being able to be seen in the best of restaurants. That's important. Pride of life. But he says, do not love this world or the things of this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of this world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Unfortunately, within the culture of our day, the preparing of food, the serving of it, and the enjoyment of it has become so much more a matter of art. A matter of art than a matter of need. Over the recent weeks, as I sat in the rehab clinic watching my sweet wife do her rehab exercises, the television was always on and it was always tuned to one of those popular Cooking shows with cooking contestants all racing around, finding ingredients, competing in the preparation of some special dish with cooking judges then observing and judging and just waiting to taste what they've prepared. That show is only one of many, many that fill the airways. Martha Stewart, Rachel Ray, Emeril, and all the other many shows those networks, whole networks, whole networks taken up with nothing but food. The preparation of it, the serving of it, and the enjoyment of it. And we're consumed, you and I, we really are consumed with learning about those things. Knowing how to cook that special food and to eat it. And not only do we watch food on television, restaurants have increased in unbelievable numbers. And each of them specializes in their own particular cuisine to tantalize our palates. And as I've said to you on other occasions, our own dear son has been a part of that world most all of his working life, both in being a chef and preparing the foods, but also teaching others how to prepare those foods in a cooking school. In one of the more upper crust restaurants where he was the chef he would prepare a five-course meal for these special groups. And as the chef, he would then explain to them how each specific food would need a specific kind of wine to accompany that taste of that food. Again, the preparing and the consuming of the food being more a form of art, art rather than of necessity for the body. But also on a more basic level in today's economy where both husbands and wives work, there seldom is enough time for them to prepare a home-cooked meal. So in many many families, perhaps most, every meal, breakfast, lunch and dinner, is taken outside the house at some form of a restaurant. So then yes, These words here from Jesus are very appropriate and they're very necessary for us in our generation, especially this warning that we receive here in verse 25 where he says, Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. That's a special warning that you and I need to think about. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, God equates our overindulgence with food right along in the same context As other vile sins of the body. Especially the sin of sexual immorality. Doesn't seem to fit that those would be in the same context. But listen. This is 1 Corinthians 6 verse 12. All things are lawful for me. But all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me. But I will not be brought under the power of any. Food for the stomach. And the stomach for food. But God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? And then also in Proverbs 28, he tells us, Whoever keeps the law is a discerning son, but a companion of gluttons shames his father. How often have I stood in a group of people and each of them competing to say they had been at the finest restaurant and they would describe that restaurant. They were not bragging on the restaurant, they were bragging on themselves because of that pride of life says, oh, I only go to the finest of restaurants. For you and me, who often have an abundance of food on our table each day, God is warning us to be very cautious with the manner in which we indulge ourselves with our food. But now with all of this being said, we're returning to the scriptures uh, for today. They speak first about being without food, of hungering. He tells us in verse 21, Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. What is supposed to be our response To that special and unique form of suffering we who generally have plenty can only imagine the misery that's being suffered by those who have real hunger and have real need i confess to you i don't know what that means i've always had enough food and i also confess to you that i have no special word from the lord for you today about that suffering except to say that it's up to you and me, who have plenty, to reach out and to help supply them with the food that they need. And there are many organizations whose mission it is to bring food to those who are hungry. There's Food for the Hungry, there's Feed the Children, there's Compassion International, and so many, many more. And for $30 or so a month you can support a child and you can help them with their hunger my wife and i have been doing that for many years now we support three little girls in these uh, other nations these third world countries and while here in america the need may not be as obvious as in those third world countries there's still many even in our own neighborhoods that suffer from hunger some of them elderly on low fixed incomes, some of them of different race and some of different nationalities. There was a point in time when I used to take a Sunday meal to this dear lady in Kosciuszko. She would have Meals on Wheels Monday through Saturday, but Meals on Wheels didn't run on Sunday. And so I would get her lunch and, and we'd eat lunch together on Sunday afternoon. And it does seem easiest as we would start to reach out to these who are hungry, to reach out to elderly people. And we should. Most often, they'll not tell you that they're hungry. You have to find that out for yourself. Our job is to find that out and to share food with them. And folks, they may be as close as next door or within a few houses of us. And they may be of a different race, a different nationality. So as we plan then to Cook a meal, perhaps soup or barbecue hamburgers or some other food, you and I need to remember those folks and to share their food with them. Now, a moment ago, I said that all of these matters of life, while they are physical in nature, they are inescapably spiritual. And we need to be careful to allow the Spirit of God to reveal to us personally and intimately about these matters. The spiritual depth that needs to be understood as we reach out to help people to even see their need. To do that, God must be allowed to have full and complete access to your and my heart, to our minds, to our souls. And it's only then that we'll be able to know that He'll be able to reveal the real truth that lies below the surface of these very common matters of the day, matters that we'll just look at many times, walk right on by. But He wants to open our eyes to see the needs in this matter of hunger. Yes, it is, first of all, very physical in its demands on us. But it's also very emotional, very emotional and spiritual. And there is a right and a godly response that should be taken towards it. What should that response be what should our response be our response should first be to draw near unto the lord and to listen for his still small voice how are we to do that how do we draw nearer to the lord so that we can hear his still small voice i recall an incident a few years ago in connection with a national call to prayer Some of our staff and our students at French Camp were challenged to participate in a one-day fast as we prayed. One student that I was discipling at the time, uh, he chose to take part in the fast. But he was quickly brought to the realities of hunger. I smile because even before his usual lunchtime, he began to suffer. Simply knowing that he would not be able to eat lunch plagued his thoughts, and his time of fasting ended before lunch. That's the way it is with us. We're too used to having all the food that we would need. Now, in last week's message, we spoke about tithing, and that just as a commitment to tithe, as we spoke about regarding money, is a first test of our attitude towards our money, so also, folks, fasting can be the first test of our attitude towards food. And listen, both of these are solely intended as a unique and intimate way of drawing nearer to the person of God. Tithing and also fasting. Now I know that we considered the sacrament of fasting in a very recent message, but I'd like to go just a little further with that today. So please bear with me. Perhaps in our thinking through this, about fasting, we'll be able to get a little more insight into the rigors of real hunger. Let's begin with these words in Matthew 6 where Jesus said, When you fast, do not be like the hypocrites who have a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face... So that you'll not appear to men to be fasting. But to your father who is in the secret place. And your father will see in secret and he'll reward you openly. Now again, may I emphasize, fasting is not intended to be just one of those religious rituals. And it's not intended to be a show of public support perhaps for those who are less fortunate than us. Now, yes, we may participate in that in some manner or another, and it wouldn't necessarily be sinful, but the biblical intent of fasting is to involve ourselves in a deeply intimate and personal interchange with the very person of God. No other reason, no other purpose. Let me say that again. The biblical intent of fasting is to involve ourselves in a deeply intimate and personal interchange with the very person of God. No other reason and no other purpose. But the question does need to be asked, why fast? What takes place within our bodies, our souls, our spirits as we fast? What is so important about fasting that it brings an intimate interaction with God? The answer to that question is a simple one. As we eat, as you and I eat, the nutrients within the food... Those nutrients quietly and pleasurably satiate and they satisfy our biological systems. So much so that our senses lose much of their sensitivity. We can go then throughout our day completely unaware of a lot of sensitive matters that are taking place all through our daily life. Our food has become to us a form of a sedative, a form of a mild, mind-altering drug that ever so slightly numbs our senses. Have you ever thought about that? That's what takes place. When you and I have a good meal, a full meal, we could go to sleep after lunch each day. We are so satisfied. But let me say those words again. Our food actually becomes a form of a sedative, a mind-altering sedative that numbs our senses to where we do not see things taking place all around us like we should. And how do I know that that takes place? It becomes very discernible when we involve ourselves in an extended fast. The longer we go without food, the more sensitive and the more alert that our mind becomes. I found that by the third day of a fast, my mind is able to perceive and to understand things that I never even thought of before. It's an amazing reality. And it's then that God is able then to invade the otherwise preoccupied recesses of my mind. And He begins then to communicate real truths to me. Folks, that's what fasting is really all about. Fully opening up our hearts and our minds and our souls to the Spirit of Christ. And allowing Him then to examine our thoughts and the intents of our minds. Perhaps for those who probably not experience the pangs of real hunger during the normal course of our daily life these words in today's text should serve to draw us into regular times of fasting and then there we'll begin to truly understand the heart of God but then with all of these things being said about fasting the scripture text for today is telling us blessed are you who do hunger now for you shall be filled and he gives us a warning also, but woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. In these words, folks, God is giving us instructions in righteousness. Here he's assuring us that if we have truly given our hearts to him, that while yes, there often may be times of hunger in our life, he'll always be faithful to give us all that we really need. How do we know that? As of this moment, He has done that with each one of us. We have all received what we've needed. But also hidden deeply within these words is an assurance that for those of us who do hunger and thirst for His righteousness, that He'll be faithful to give us all that we need of His righteousness for our souls. Isn't that a precious promise? But again, He also leaves us with a warning about both the needs of our body and also the needs of our soul. A warning that if we get the feeling, if we get the understanding that we're full, that we have all that we need, that we don't need God's provision. We may not say that out loud. We may not even think it. But when we begin to conduct our life in that way, then He assures us that we really will then surely experience hunger like we've never experienced it before. Both in our bodies and especially within our souls. Listen again and we'll close. First the blessing. Blessed are you who hunger now. For you shall be filled. That's a promise. That's a promise to us. But also the warning then. But woe to you. Woe to you when you are so full that you don't think you need God's provision. He says woe to you who are full. For you shall surely hunger. Let's pray.